welcome again to another fun episode of Tales from the Crew. And we have uh, an amazing guest today, uh, Jennifer Chata. <laughs> Jennifer Coda, but yes. Vercota. That's what happens when you meet people online. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no worries. I, uh, my Insta handle is Party Choda because my whole life, my last name's been mispronounced that way. Ah, you know, I saw that, to be honest with you. I was like, oh, Vercota. Yep, yep. Everyone does. I've been called Chodes, Chody, Choda my whole life. It's great. Okay. Uh, Vercata. Vercota. But Vercota. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. No, I'm going to keep working on it. Um, well, very cool. Very, uh, well, thank you so much, first off, for um, reaching out and connecting and, and agreeing to be on the show. Um, it looks like you know, there are a few people that we've worked with together in the past, mm-hmm. uh, like some mutual acquaintances. And so, I'd love to learn more about just, you know, um, first off, how you got into this business, because it looks like you're, you do a lot of things from writing, modeling, uh, yeah. you work in production, yeah. you're kind of like the Hollywood go-to. Um, so yeah, I would love to learn all about you. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I started out, I went to film school as a screenwriting major, so that's how I sort of started off in writing, um, and I'm sort of pursuing that still, but I... It's funny, while I was in school, I... Where, where did you go to school? Uh, Chapman University, sorry. Oh my God, I love Chapman. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone yeah. I work with has been to Chapman. <laughs> yeah, oh, good, good people. Good people, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Very cool. Yeah, met some really talented kids there. So, um, yeah. so the student there, as a screenwriting major, you were actually pretty segregated from the production side of the world, unless you really sought it out. So I started script supervising as what I thought would be a means to more writing opportunities so that I could just be on set and work more closely with directors and producers and impress them in a skill set completely different from writing so that I would just be in the room and have these connections when they were like, oh, we're looking for something like this. And then I could just whip out like, oh, well, actually, I happen to have whatever, because I, I never wanted to be the kind of writer who's running around like, oh, I'm working on this, oh, will you read my, like, yeah, this, <laughs> yeah. which is so much of a writer's battle, so I was kind of like, eh, I'm going to find a loophole in that side of the business, and I accidentally sort of fell upward from script supervising to first ADing, and that is now what I do, so I still, like, model just kind of on the side, I'm writing on my own, uh, although, since I started ADA a lot less. <laughs> there was like a good and a half where I had no time. I bet. Yeah, it's so it's so funny to go from being a script supervisor who most script supervisors I work with are like, you know, like on their own island. They're like, I'm I'm not dealing with this. <laughs> very much. Very <laughs> to, much. To then in a first AD who's like, I'm just going to run the whole show. So, I mean, that's a huge Titanic shift. That's pretty – how did that happen where you went from script supervising to being a first AD? You know, it's it's funny because um, I, I picked script supervising thinking that it would have anything to do with, you know, the script because I was a writing student and then found out like, oh, no, a lot more to do with editing and all these things. Great. Um, but I was in a couple TV classes and got to try things at Chapman. So I'd end up editing um, like a web series that did have no script supervisor. So when I started script supervising, I found it came really naturally to me. And I was like, oh, I know exactly what I'm looking for because I know what I was staying up all night, like ripping my hair out about when I was editing that one project. Great. Uh, And then as I was on set as a script supervisor, I just, 
I watched everything I hated about every AD that I worked with. They were all just nasty. <laughs> no one was communicating. Everything was a shit show all of the time. Uh, but I had second AD'd once as a student. So when I was working with a friend in Chicago on her TV pilot as a script supervisor, she was producing another project that happened to be shooting that weekend. Uh, and I was out there and I was free. So I was like, oh, well, I'll take an extra two days out here in Chicago and I'll work on this thing with you. Great. They had just filled their script supervisor role, but they needed a second AD. Oh, I've done that before. Sure. Jumped on board. It was just like a two day short. But on that short, the first AD sucked. I don't know what was happening. I think he was on drugs the whole time. He was just kind of like spacey and walking around. I, I, I don't know what was happening. But the producer of that little short film was like, okay, I, I don't know what's going on with this guy. I need you to just take over or AD him or AD the show. I don't Please care just what. Please stand next to the director. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just like make Rocket go now, you know? Yeah. So I sort of just took over and started first ADing that based on uh, just what I'd seen and observed and what I knew from script supervising for the year prior about basically how a set runs. No big deal. Cool. It was just a two day short, you know, like a small 10 man yeah. period. Very easy to make happen with the basic knowledge of how a set runs, you know? So that kind of worked out and I realized I really enjoyed this uh, ADing and I got a lot of good feedback from that time. So then I worked on another pilot, again, as a script suit. But again, that first AD was kind of struggling. And I sort of just stepped up and helped because it was a smaller project. And, you know, the kind of thing where you're starting out in the indie world and a lot of people are wearing different hats. So the staying in your own lane is not really a thing. It was in the first year as you're starting out in production. So all of those kind of professional rules don't exist as much yet. Uh, so he relied on me a lot and, and then I applied online on like Mandy crew probably or staff me up to a different short film that was looking for a first AD slash script supervisor. And I was like, Oh wow. Well, kind of ADing and script supervising, <laughs> just get them, but you know, I won't be able to AD and sit down and take any notes, but the director was also going to be editing it. So if he really just wanted someone to like watch out for continuity things, he was going to edit it himself. So whatever. And I was like, yeah, sure, I could do that. I could tag team both of those roles in that way and have my first official chance to actually first AD on my own. And that was a short film out in Idaho, believe it or not. Um, we were shooting up in like February in the mountains in Idaho in blizzard conditions. It was 22 below zero. I mean, uh, it, was, it was great, but a nightmare. Oh my gosh. That's a challenge. And you were doing both script supervising and first AD in negative 22 weather? Yeah. I, well, I mean, and again, I wasn't like actually so script supervising. You have like the remnant has nothing on you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was bad though. I mean, and so it was funny that that opportunity just happened to work out. And it, it was out up in the wilderness, like I said, and I was I'm an outdoorsy girl. I was from Minnesota, so I had camping and knowledge that would just generally be helpful <laughs> uh, right yeah you thought you were somewhat prepared yeah and yeah. uh by that point let's see i think i was a year and a half out of school so it was like my third job but my first time really first ADing uh officially and i was really excited about it and it was like a bunch of us kind of young 22 to 26 year old maybe kids out in idaho the director and producer 
his parents are bigger in the film industry, so he had daddy's money to play with. So what was the like, what was the name of the short? What? What was the name of the short? Oh, <laughs> I don't know if I should reveal any names, but uh, I it was like called... I saw that you worked with this one friend of mine, Carly Engelbrecht. She wasn't on that short, was she? Uh, no, I don't think so, but okay. I definitely am probably She, she did one out-of-town short where she's like, boy, do I have stories to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if that was the same one, but yeah. oh, not yeah, in the no, dark. It's in Stillwater, right? That's I where think, I know Carly from. I think so, yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, she might have been like the art director on it or something. Oh, okay. Maybe. Oh, wait a minute. No, that Carly... Actually, if she if it was this one and I that might have been the same one. It was called Sawtooth. I don't know. I don't know. Might have been it. I just remember she was like, "Yeah, we were staying on set or something, and it was crazy." Yeah, we were staying in these cabins out there at the location that we were shooting, and it was it was nutty. There was like this one old man who was kind of the caretaker of the the lot, which was a beautiful farmhouse property, and they had tourists there in the summertime, but in the winter, of course, everything was dead, so he put us all up in cabins on their property and, like, cooked us all our meals and things and sort of, I don't know, generally helped out and and <laughs> put, like, it's, it's not, it's not one of those things where, like, you're in L.A., and you're like, what a great idea, like, you know, you'll have some cool environment, it'll be different. Oh, yeah. And then you get out there and you're like, you know, fuck. Affordable. We can totally rough it. Like, <laughs> it's all, yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's all good plants. I guess uh, it's one of those things you kind of live and learn from. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, in the first year that I was working in production, I did a lot of those, or not a lot, but three or four of those type of projects where it was, you know, some rich kid whose parents are in the film industry and they have to prove something to their parents. You know, I've like, I've done a couple short films like that, a couple features like that. All th in that those, are like, those, are like, those are like the best because you make so many mistakes on those. And then when you get hired for like something that's legit, you oh, learn yeah. so much. It's just like so valuable in a, in a weird way. I've, I've been there too. I think you have to go through a few of those projects, you know, to, to be able to make it on something more professional, to have any experience and, and just on every production that you work on, you'll hit a few snags and those kind of snags become very commonplace snags that if you didn't see them coming on a more professional shoot, you're an idiot. Yeah. Because we've all seen them 30, 40,000 times and, right. and you need to have that knowledge. Yeah. Uh, especially as an AD, if you're working with a director who's sort of like working with dad's money and is unrealistic or she's unrealistic and, Yes. And I have to rein the man and say, like, this is our day. <laughs> these, yeah. you know, these are the choices you have. Exactly. Well, and when you're, especially when you're doing that kind of project, that young director is also a first time producer because they're working with their parents. Totally. You're <laughs> like, can I get the credit card? We need more craft services. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, when I've they think there. that 50 grand on something is a lot of money, is like, I know for you and your personal account, yes, that's huge. But that doesn't get you anything out here. No, it's a yeah, it's a different, uh, it's a it's a different level of uh, world. Like, your rules, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And just different expense. So, but you know, uh, on the one hand, I have a soft spot for those projects because 
although I've got a lot of horror stories from those. Well, A, number one, when you are on the professional set, you have to have three or four good horror stories just to swap at the lunch table to, like, make your friends right away. Right. A, the stories are social currency on set, number one. But My, uh, my, favorite, my favorite of those stories is always getting it with, like, so have you ever seen the finished movie? Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. No one's ever seen it. They're like, no, 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 I've never seen it. No, it's, a, it's still in post. It's still in post, yeah. about it, like, finally. I just got a call a week ago about reshoots from two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, no, I got an email about some ADR, like, six months ago. No way. Yeah. Yeah. But on those smaller young director projects, I get to... I get to have a lot more creative input sometimes that I wouldn't otherwise have, you know? Yeah. Young directors will seek, will seek advice from me a lot more. So that's kind of fun. That's when I get to use my screenwriting knowledge as an AD and, you know, have, a, have the pitches in my back pocket of like, okay, well, so this scene actually doesn't serve any purpose in the story. You just need this one line of dialogue and you could rearrange and put that here and add that moment to this scene and we could cut this all out, save six hours and 10 grand. And then they're like, oh God, that's a great idea. Yeah, let's do that. Cool. Oh, that's Love. so true. I mean, you can combine Love scenes or you can cut out fat and it's like, it's such yeah. a great perspective when you're, you also have like a, the, a writer's perspective going yeah. into ADing. That's yeah. really, that's a good point. Whenever I break down a script, I go through and I have all of those kind of like, okay, this scene, this moment we can flag if we're under the, gun so I have those kind of contingency plans and I know right away certain things to pitch to simplify when everyone's like oh my god what are we gonna do okay well I've got four of these cards in my back pocket here that I thought right. about yeah <laughs> try not to say shit to anybody <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, well I consider to this was you know but yeah. so that's fun and you get to do that on on a indie kind of set I don't get to do that on any of the other like sort of networky shows obviously so you've got yeah. It's more of a Four layers of story producers and consulting producers and executive producers and then a showrunner and a driver. You know, I mean, just stepping on toes oh. and staying in your lane becomes exponentially more important. Oh yeah, you're like uh, you're you're like walking out on the deep end when you're swimming on the deep end when you like try to make big changes on a studio project. Yeah, or uh, even even making a suggestion. You know, it's. There are certain rooms of people or circle meetings where if you're in the brain trust, that's great. But also certain ideas you can't just voice to the whole group because you make someone else look like an idiot for not having thought of it. And if that person happens to be above you or have brought you on, they will fire you for that kind of shit. You know, there's, there's solutions that you vocalize to everybody, and then there's some that you have to pull somebody aside and whisper to, and they'll say, yes, I like this part, but also don't tell this person that part. I mean, then it, it, there's politics everywhere, too. Well, that, so that's, 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 we talked about this on the show before. It's like um, with indie films, you have this, like, hive mind almost where when it's really oh, working, there's so many yeah. talented, creative, collaborative people. Exactly. And on a studio project, you just can't have that because it's right. It's why it's yeah, it's a crazy uh, hierarchy or it's a committee. It's it's uh, just a whole different dynamic. It's politics that is also just too time consuming too. I mean, we can't have seventeen people have to throw in their two cents and sign off on it. You just can't do it. Yeah, uh, exactly. So I have a spot for those indie projects that are all like train wrecks, but you meet a lot of good people and you have fun and everyone 
gets to really collaborate on a level that they don't on a safer and more smoothly run. <laughs> right. So have you, you know, have you kind of transitioned now from, from doing like doing indie and now you're, you're, are you only doing studio level projects? What's, what's, uh, yeah, pretty what's, much. what's so, the status of you? Yeah. I, uh, I, I work on a network reality show now and we travel around, uh, and then like two months in the summer and a month in the winter when that show's on hiatus, I'll, uh, jump on to another, still established but more indie channel as far as film working goes so yeah. i strap a little bit both sides but i'm i haven't done like an indie feature or a true indie project in uh probably a year and a half two years maybe hey, so you're, you're, you're ready to get back into it <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean so i i enjoy my like my summer two weeks on on this tv show where it's more indie and like it feels like summer camp. All the kids are making a movie again, you know? Ah, uh-huh. that's so cool. It's low key. And going from something where it's like, okay, I've got four cam ops, three GoPros, six other like cameras posted up and down and going back to a single cam, like well, narrative. Well, from, tell, me, from, tell me, tell me about yeah. that. What's, what's the, what's the, you know, outside of like, you know, films, like when you're doing a show that's multi-cam, how do you manage that? Mm. just just like rapid fire fire broadband on the the old noggin basically is it's i don't know i don't know how you do it i'm just kind of frantically scrolling through lists of every department and what are all their needs and who needs to know this first and you know delegate and, and moving pieces around on on the network show that i work on I have three channels that I'm supposed to be on at all times. So I've got one walkie in each year and another one that I just kind of spin and talk into that I don't really listen into very much because my second can handle that. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, but no, it's, it's crazy. I don't know. It's, it's, it's so crazy and there's so many moving parts and there's so much being delegated and communicated out all at once. And it's all constantly changing on this reality set so everything that we discussed last night and this morning and an hour ago doesn't matter every time we get up to five minutes before we're going to shoot whatever we're going to shoot that's what i hear about the reality show yeah yeah they it's awful (laughs) they run in they change who's going to be where how many people are going to be in the scene what we actually have to cover with cameras where we're looking and uh oh now there's going to be a pinata and four baseball bats uh what (laughs) sorry go again oh man (laughs) so so you just kind of in real time react and decide how to schedule things in a moment-to-moment basis exactly exactly i i I used to try and and this is the great thing too when i'm in narrative i can plan for every possible thing my my schedule is is so airtight and and gone over with every extra time like banked for this for this contingency plan here 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 here's a backup if we're ahead we're gonna do this we're behind we're gonna do this like i've thought through everything but the script doesn't change reality i i can't do that at all i don't even bother making plans on the reality show wow it just changes so quickly we'll have we'll have entire load-in days where we go through we block through everything. We sh- we pick where we're going to shoot and how we're going to set it up and what the interviews are going to look like and where this and this and this and that, you know, beat of the show is going to be. And the morning of, they'll change the location. Now we're driving 30 minutes away. Now we're getting on a boat. Now we're going to do, I mean, just the story changes so rapidly. That it, it's 
pointless. You have to just roll with it and, uh, you know, try not to lose your cool with producers. That just sounds really cool. Expectations about like, okay, uh, slow down, slow down. I know you want to shoot this, but the consequences are you won't be able to shoot this. You get 20 minutes to shoot this and this department and this department and this department all hate you for the next week. Like, so uh, some departments think that they're the only department on set and it's really a problem (laughs) so are you sort of on the on the show are you sort of the the spokesperson for the departments going to the producers or yeah yes 100 percent. i'm i'm the only voice really between the whole crew from production to the creative show running team so yeah and that's why it's it's important i don't know i'm just scrolling through lists of every department and what are their concerns and like who's fucked by what and how bad and, <laughs> and just trying to share share the burden of every last minute change i mean i can't tell you how many times i've had lighting go set up a thing and then wait hold off okay start tearing it down oh no actually he's nope stop striking it maybe they want to do it no okay <laughs> nope, okay actually we're not going to do it wrap it wrap it out for real for real yes okay let's wrap it out for the night i mean just setting up and tearing things down and making new setups and people changing their minds and you know or just like suddenly now we need to close down a road of traffic and it's just an hour away and there's going to be holy shit you, you make indie filmmaking seem so around. easy because there aren't these big changes that happen i mean that's that's crazy i mean overnight i go from having a segment where i'm supposed to have one person get out of a motionless stopped car in a parking lot and walk to the door and cover that movement and then get inside and cover whatever happens in there and an hour before we're going to shoot it, it becomes 120 people in a trail of 85 golf carts snaking along a road, going through a parking lot around a corner, coming up <laughs> to the front and then swarming into that place. And I don't have any more cameras or more PAs for lockups or, you know, police to lock down a road. I, we're just shooting this now. Okay, here we go. Everyone pivot. <laughs> <laughs> And so you're the one that's got to have, like, control over the madness. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't. I don't. I'm supposed to manage and wrangle the madness, but there's an element of it that I, that's not my call. It's not my say. I'm just supposed to execute whatever the creative team wants to shoot, uh, but I don't actually get a say in whether or not it's possible. Right, if it's going to work or not. If it's a good idea, yeah, you know, I can only tell them their consequences and try to present options and give them my advice about what I think is realistic or not. But uh, ultimately, there's three other voices above me who say what they want the show to be, and I just have to make it happen. And what actually happens is not my call. So it's it's tough to be in that zone where you're supposed to have a kind of godlike control over all of the moving pieces, but you really don't because you didn't get to choose what they were going to do that day. Yeah, that that's crazy. I mean, yeah, you, I don't know. I I, uh, I don't have that much uh, experience with reality. Uh, yeah, and I always kind of look at it as like, oh, that's so easy. They're just like on a in a restaurant, <laughs> you know. Uh, Ten cameras are filming. There's not much, you know. You don't have to map out right. coverage and setups. Yeah. But, but I guess it's the it's the changes that is the the challenge. Yeah. 
Well, and I think some, every reality show is different and they're all kind of their own beasts depending on what they have to accomplish, you know? Uh-huh. And uh, some of them can just have 10 cameras up in a house, follow everything, follow what happens. Great, you know? But yeah. there's the challenge of like, okay, I've got two cameras over here, one outside, one upstairs, one over here, and a fight has broken out and these two cameras are here, they run in, but uh, A camera needs to swap a disc and a battery, B camera is not hard lined in, so we don't have his image in you know, Video Village or something, he's not in yeah. the, the mission control room. We've gotta get C camera over there, but oh wait, C camera doesn't have audio because he had to real quick go remike the special guest who we were gonna surprise so-and-so with. So the allocation of bodies is always, I don't know, real tricky. Even if you think, you know, it's supposed to be straightforward. Even if there's a simple conversation, drama is going to happen at the worst time and cameras are going to go out and like lights are just going to fall down. And I I mean, I've I've been on a show, on a reality show where we're shooting outside all day. It's pouring rain all day, all day. It's not lighting up like it's terrible, really bad. Then lightning strikes. Okay, so now it shuts down the Jenny. Now we don't have power, but there's uh, the story is still happening. Reality is still taking place. <laughs> we just can't do anything about it. And then there's a literal fire in the kitchen, an actual fire in the kitchen where we're Great shooting. Drama. All in the same day. <laughs> it's like, oh my god! You know, it's just nutty. It's just nutty. So um, are, there, are there like producers that you just love to work with that you're like I, I just they make great decisions. I want to be part of their team. I'm challenged, yeah. but in a good way. Yeah. But I will say what it is that I like about a producer is usually, I don't know, what I appreciate about them is usually their consideration for every other department. It's It's got to be like, they have to have enough knowledge of the show that they're working and post-production to know what they need. I appreciate the producer who is not going to ask 20 minute interview for one soundbite that they know they need to get about the thing. I, I appreciate the producers who know what they want to get, get in and get out and don't bother just covering an extra three hours of reality. Cause of course it's good to have the footage, but if you've got your show, the other 85 people on set here are busy and have other things that need to happen. Right. So, if you're conscious of that. It's like, it's a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's just the kind of producer who, remembers everyone else is working hard. That's the kind of producer that I enjoy working with that I can talk to. And when they pitch me something and they, if they actually listen, when I say, Hey, that's great. We can do that, but you're only going to have this much time for these interviews then. And it's going to cut out 30 minutes of filming this other thing. Cause there's no way we can move these many people back and forth in five minutes or whatever, whatever the case may be. If a producer actually listens and says, okay, yes, I can do that. It's just so often I, I work with ones who come in, tell me what they want to shoot, don't care what the consequences are, don't care who else is bending over backwards to, to make that thing happen, don't cut out the time, don't sacrifice anything from their department or their interview time or their whatever it may be, uh, you know, and just expect that that's how things go. And then they do yeah. that every day and every week and they don't they don't seem to be counting up all the favors that like culinary department and field department and camera and lighting and everyone is giving them you know? yeah so people are yeah, like it's... an extra 45 minutes go tear this up and set it down and you don't realize that like you just thought this might be cool in your edit it's not even going to you're not going to use it it's going to get cut you like on a whim thought of a joke that you thought might work and didn't but actually people are going to spend hours setting up and tearing down that little joke you thought would be cute. You know, it's it, uh, the producers who don't take that for granted are the ones that I like. 
Right. I'm like, that must be like a nightmare for the crew to have to like um, entertain someone who has no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's really tough. That's, and that's the side of reality television that's so hard for me. Is it, it seems like there's a larger disconnect between crew and creative on reality. When I'm on some of these other narrative things, the director knows how hard his lighting and camera team is working. He doesn't not care about it. The producers are very aware of whether or not overtime is going to hit and lunch and everyone else's schedule. They're very yeah. aware of how long the days are or aren't. And the reality experience I've had, producers just have no regard whatsoever for what the crew is actually going through to shoot what they want to see. So. How, how does that work? I mean, you know, a narrative, it's obviously it's a game of uh, how many setups you can have in one day. And with reality, are you, are you sort of um, planning it out in setups or are you planning it out in, in scenes or moments? It's, it's interesting. I actually, I have totally, I have completely different call sheet and schedule templates and things for reality and narrative. I don't even use movie magic at all in reality, really. Um, so I'm planning it out sort of by segments because there are certain sort of beats or, or scenes that we know we're going to shoot and we know we're going to need an act out here and an act out here and an act out here. We know we're going to need these people's walking up and out and establishing shots, things like that. I know I'm going to need an interview after all of these segments. and I know I'm going to need an interview with these three people before all of these segments. So. I can plan all of those setups and give everything kind of a rough average of what it takes. But there's some things that just, I don't know, time's going to take what it's going to take. There's this one uh, scene that happens in a show, which is sort of uh, getting all the gossip and all of the dirt and drama out. And it can last usually 30, 45 minutes, but sometimes it takes three hours. And, yeah. you know have to get in these other two scenes before lunch but you you can't stop or break up the move you know the moment it's just going to take what it's going to take off <laughs> it is what it is you know there's some things that you can't really plan for or the typical 30 minute interview outside is just not going to take that because we happen to be at a location that's on an exit ramp of a freeway and there's like a motorcade of tractors going by i don't know <laughs> but <Yeah>. it's, <laughs> <laughs> it just is what it is. It's so, it, this traveling reality show, bouncing from different place to place, we have so little control over where we are, or even what our footprint is and how far the walk may be from tech and g and &E to the site that we're shooting. And everything changes every week. So some of it scheduling and setup wise is sort of rinse and repeat, but it's also completely different every single week. And uh I don't yeah, know. It's it's just it's, hard it's, to plan. You don't have a lot of prep. Is is really a factor, yeah. you know? And on some of these shots, exactly. you, just kind of, you just show up and and hope for the best. Exactly. We have very little prep and just very little control. It's not like a studio where we can lock this down and then just take something. We're just set up and we're in a parking lot, but all of these other businesses have to stay open, and you know production's paying them for parking spots we're on kind of thin ice with everybody setting our cones up everywhere i mean i don't know this uh, thing right like i mean you know something's got to get painted over there there's a pothole getting filled I, yes it's really loud but we have to shoot this thing that's happening now I, yeah you know, i'm sorry there's there's just there's less that i can do i can't even take the 20 minutes to go 
send a producer and a PA over with some petty cash to like ask them to hold for 10 minutes for us and sweet talk. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of this, you know, we're limited yeah. by it sounds so. like, it sounds like almost like guerrilla filmmaking. It, yeah. In a, in a weird way, it's, it comes off as being very guerrilla just with a lot. When I first started I, out, that was my thing. I was always guerrilla filmmaking in downtown LA and you never knew who was going to be like giving you trouble on the street or like if there was a parade that day or something, you know, you have no idea. And mm-hmm. it was fascinating, but it's interesting to, to have that on a, a regimented network show. It's got to be a weird Look, kind of dichotomy. It is. It's really weird. And, and we've got a really great crew on this show that knows the drill. Uh, you know, so people are ready to roll with the punches. They know how quickly things change. And we all know roughly what we're going to shoot every week. We just know right up until before we shoot it, we won't really know what we're shooting. And eh. That's got to be the best part about it, though, is like if you have a crew that you work with all the time and they get it, they mm-hmm. know the drill, and, you know, you're not like yeah um you're not sensing their stress you know you're just you don't feel like it's on you yeah i mean and 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 i do feel that but it's everyone's pretty good and we're all on the road together we're all living together at the same hotel every week and bouncing around so it's very much a a big family that gets it but there's definitely a full crew and then like story producers (laughs) (laughs) they're in their own little unit (laughs) Y'all, y'all think of it so hard. Never work a day out here. Oh man, that's funny. But it's fun. This this show is is a wild ride. I've watched a lot of uh, producers and execs get fired and scream at each other. I've had to uh, help production clear a space for them to yell at each other privately with and, like clear the rest of the crew out of the PO. Everyone out of crafty. Nope, we can use these bathrooms over here. No, nope, everyone over there. I have a space for these guys to fight. And like throw chairs at each other. That's um, insane. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, we we were we uh, the PO that week was like underneath a laser tag place. This <laughs> just vacant. Oh building. yeah, that's incredible. Um, <laughs> and uh, and we have a couple dogs who travel with people on set, so we we let them have the space. And then we're like, oh my god, no, Frida's in there. Frida, the dog, get her out of there. Get her out of there. <laughs> Why? walk through the back of this fight and pull this shaking little dog out from under a table. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> well, then take her out. Like, no, no, don't, don't mind you guys. I didn't hear a thing. Just yeah, Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> I mean, this man win. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. Whoever comes out is going to have the, the final um, set. Yeah. Yeah, no, and the... Uh, that showrunner was fired slash quit that day too. They left, they came out, gave people a hug and <laughs> drove away. That day. So the crew is, you guys are pretty much, you know, consistent, but the story producer, showrunner, that's, um, in, in your yeah. world, it's a bit inconsistent. Exactly. Now the crew pretty much stays the same. There's a story team that cycles through every week, you know, like, every episode has a different story to executive producer and uh, editor. And then there's a supervising story producer and a showrunner above those guys who are there consistently. But I have seen like five or six of those guys get fired too in just the last year. So there's a high turnover at the top for sure, which definitely. uh, You know, it's interesting how, how you like for me as a, a, a narrative film producer, 
I, I feel very much like coalesced with the crew. Like we're all sort of in this together. We have a, a yeah. plan. We all execute it. But it makes mm-hmm. sense that, you know, the pr- story producers, they like, you know, are completely unattached to the rest of the crew. Because yeah, that's that's sort of the dynamic of reality. It's like you don't need the production value to sell the story. You need the story to sell the story, I guess. Yeah. Well, they're just there. They're, they're only there that one week, and then they're back in the office for the next four weeks in post, and then they come back out in the field for a week, and we haven't seen each other for a month. And between the crew, five more weeks of drama has gone by, five more weeks of rain and lightning and kitchen fire. <laughs> <laughs> who knows what like knives throwing pizzas in the air who can say oh my but god also, <laughs> at least two more people have come and gone and been fired <laughs> like we've all been through another war together when the story team comes back around and they're just uh so i think they're just detached from what we go through when they're only on the road for those five days and uh you know it just seems like oh it's uh they're they're always kind of guest stars when they come out I'm like oh it's crazy out here oh. But we deal with that all the time. And then it's, it's you guys who make it so crazy, actually. Because you just decided you want 35 referee whistles in here. <laughs> right. and it's all going normal you, until they, they flew into town. Well, yeah. Now you want 14 other people here and half of them aren't supposed to know who the other half is. Well, <laughs> we're shit. Do you feel like they're just kind of bringing the ideas to like prove their worth a lot of times? Yeah. I think they're just... You know, they're all really kind of grasping at straws because it's a unique show where the show host is also an executive producer, uh, which always just makes things more complicated. So the story team and even the showrunner don't quite have final approval over everything because the show host also does. So the story producers and the showrunner can all have a plan that they like, but if the host doesn't like it, we're not going to shoot that. And we don't know until we get the host into his trailer at 7.30 whether or not we're going to shoot that. <laughs> but also his heart out is 10.30. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we got to go, guys. I mean, it's that kind of thing. It's like we'll plan for 10 different scenarios, presuming that we'll shoot more than likely A or B, but we've got uh, plans in place for these 10 other things. And then 30 minutes before we're actually going to shoot it, we find out we're not going to do any of those things. And uh, I, I, even the showrunner and the producers are just kind of like, well, shrug, he hated our ideas. Like, eh, we're going to do this instead. I don't know, guys. So I think the producers are always just kind of throwing things out there, but they're kind of nonchalant and detached, even from those story ideas, because they don't really feel like they have control over it. And they never know what's going to stick at the wall because they there's an unpredictable team of tastes that's actually in control over it. That's a good way to put it. You know? (laughs) Yeah. I think they're just a little detached from their story and they're just throwing options out there. And uh, everyone's like, Oh, he likes this one, hates this one. So that's what we're going to do. Here we go. Everyone run. (laughs) 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 I had no no idea that how much more interesting reality was than actual like indie filmmaking or narrative filmmaking. But yeah, I didn't either. I didn't either, oh. but boy, I started going gray at like 25 about it. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> not actually, not actually. I've pulled like... You're like, I die. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> but I hear you. <laughs> but but it's, I've, I've seen it. I've seen 
a really stressful week just suddenly produce a gray hair, like straight out at the top of my head. Bad week on the show and like, whoop, there it is. That is incredible. Oh my God. It literally is proof of this in pudding. <laughs> watched it. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen it happen. Ah. So, but, but it's a fun, I mean, honestly, it's still so many people are really good at their job and they're all working so hard and we're all ready to pivot to anything. None of us are all that married to all the work and planning that we've done because we know how the show goes. So there is a real, there is a real spirit of camaraderie and everyone's helping each other out and everyone's doing favors for everyone and really appreciates each other. So it's a great show in those. It's just, it's definitely been a crazy one. There was actually, I started as second AD on the show when the first AD was there to train me. And then the following week, a new first came on to shadow him. And then the old first who had been doing the show for years and years and years was gone. So I was the second and there was brand new baby first. And I'd only been there for two weeks. And that first had been there for one week. So I was still kind of training him, but none of us knew the show. That was a mess. That first AD made it for another five weeks and then just didn't show up again. And so then I was thrown up in the first, <laughs> but we had just a crazy week where the host of the show also just didn't show up. Like first night, uh, he's going to be an hour late. Uh, no, he's going to be just one more hour late. Okay. No, he'll be here by 10. Uh, his heart up is 1030. Yep. Yep. No, he'll be here. Guys. No, he's definitely not coming. Are you kidding me? <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, you're right. He's not coming. Uh, okay. What so else can we shoot? What else can we shoot? <laughs> like, yeah, literally shoot around our missing host tomorrow. We're going to shoot some pickup and throw some sound bites in and pretend that he was here the whole time. Okay. Sure thing. You guys <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it. Like, yeah. Wow. Oh my goodness. And that kind of stuff. It's crazy, but um, so yeah. do you do you love it? Do you love uh, first ADing and you know not the non scripted world? Uh, I love first ADing. I, I after working in the non scripted world, I love the scripted world because again, I can plan for everything. Like coming back from multi cam reality to single cam narrative is like oh, I bet. a breeze. I get a script. You can. I know what we're gonna shoot. <laughs> Right? Who needs who needs any of that? Like, it's amazing coming in with a with a script and and talent and and crew and people who will show up on time and stuff. Like, ah, a dream. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. Oh, we don't have everybody here who has to big dick wag around and you know certainly can't can't get to work at least an hour you know late because otherwise he would be <laughs> too cooperative he has to prove that he's above this other producer and this guy and uh, i don't know we don't have like this director and this producer fighting wow. i do i feel the narrative there is there's a lot more camaraderie and solidarity between producers and and crew i feel like this, the producers that i work with in narrative are all they're in the trenches with us. They're there every day. And that's, like, that is really why the story team and stuff of other shows or things where people cycle in and out. Uh, you don't feel that so much. I guess it's, I mean, you know, obviously it's a different beast in terms of uh, just the nature of the content, you know, with scripted, it's like, you're really trying to maximize what's on the page, but in reality, you're trying to maximize the, the moments within the day. I mean, and who knows what that is? Yeah. Yeah. And, and also 
not only maximize the moments, I think a lot of first ADs shoot themselves in the foot purely trying to maximize moments and time. You have to maximize the creative capacity and potential of the day more so than just the time. That's, you know, sometimes pushing directors to have conversations that they're not going to have unless you suggest it or put them next to that person and prompt it to yourself. Sometimes that's, you know, making sure these guys talk about something, making sure art department gets ahead of getting this thing ready or whatever, but also maximizing what the crew can do in that time with just morale uh, you know running around trying to maximize the time yelling at everybody like all right you, you got 10 minutes everybody we're behind we're behind go uh, make it eight minutes i don't care but you know like yeah. no one at their best that way and actors don't perform at their best if they feel rushed directors won't get the takes that they need if they feel rushed i mean mistakes are made and people get hurt when they feel rushed so you know I think what you try, you have to look differently at what you're trying to maximize as an AD on set. I'm trying to maximize what we can actually shoot with the given resources we have, one of which is time. But there are a whole lot of other considerations to make sure that that is done to the best of its ability. Yeah, and I, I always feel like some of the best ADs that I've ever worked with have this, like, cool about them, where, you 100%. know, for me, I could, like, lose my mind with, like, oh, my God, it's, like... <laughs> seven in the morning kids are showing up at eight yeah you know to come back to campus or whatever and it's like we're literally gonna lose everything we have to fucking get the shot off and they would be like all right cool yeah we'll, we'll see what we can do you know mm-hmm. and, and they pull it off but they do it in a way that's in sync with the director with the, with the production and it's like and it's just like this, this tone that the 80 sets that like they know exactly the plan and they're, you know, like, you know, the plan and you're sticking with it and you believe in it, even if no one else does in a way, in a weird way. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ab- oh, yeah. Yeah. I've definitely had that where people and producers don't believe it. And I'm like, no, trust me, listen to me. This is going to take this amount of time. This is going to take this amount of time. I have an extra 15 banked here. Don't tell anyone about this. Like, uh, no, I know where it's going to actually go slower than it's supposed to be on paper and where we're going to make it up on paper. And you know, yeah. All that stuff. And and I know, you know, like uh, the lighting director, I've got to make sure he keeps working over because he's going to talk. The DP and the director are going to chat and it's going to look like nothing's happening. But, you know, like producers will come over and be like, can you be a little ruder to everyone, please? And I'm like, no, trust me, they're working. And me yelling at people does not make them work faster. because That's not how it goes. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of things to look for. but. The director and the DP, like, joking around is actually where they're, you know, after the third joke, the DP is going to suggest something that they didn't think of, and they're going to love it, and that's the shot that you guys are actually going to want and use. There's patterns that you find like that with crews that you work with forever, too. Yeah, exactly. Like, I know my LD is easily distracted, but these two definitely have to talk and joke around. Otherwise, they're not going to be happy with what they've shot. Like, eh, you know... Some work style. Like you're, you're like feeling out the energy of the room and the tone of the room and, and building dynamics between people. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's got to be a healthy dynamic. People have to feel like they have the creative freedom to do their job well. Right. And people have to know that you trust them to do their job too. I, you know, you're I like don't the, you're like the filter too behind everybody. every producer that's like, 
this has to happen right fucking now. <laughs> you're like, great. Yeah. While, like, while they're out like playing tic-tac-toe with each other, you know, in the background, the exactly. director's deep. And you're like, well, yeah. they need to do that because that's how they figure shit like, out. You just came in after having like a 45-minute phone call smoking a cigarette and I are going to tell me like, this needs to happen right now. People are working. People are working. Calm down. Before that can happen, this needs to happen. This needs to happen. This and this and this and that all need to happen. And all of those people are busy doing those 12 things. So and you know exactly what, what's happening. You're in complete control. Yeah. I know who's doing what. I know why they're doing it. I know why these priorities have moved around here and there, you know, and I know there's just, there's, there's always too much, too much going on. I think that, yeah, if you're not in that AD role, looking at what every single department is doing, there's no way to think that everyone actually is working at max capacity or I don't know. It's just hard to keep in mind the priorities of every other department. It is, but you know, at the same time, it's like um, understanding the, the time that they need from each department and being able to like put that into um, a day where you're just like reacting to things for, to changes. It's gotta be yeah. quite balanced. It, yeah, I mean, that's the toughest part is like, hey, lighting really needed 45 minutes to set this up. So even though you came in 30 minutes through and changed thing and you're like, oh, you've been lighting since 45 minutes ago. Yes, <laughs> for something completely different. So here we go. It's still going to take and like, you know, we'll hurry, but you can say 10 minutes all you want. That's not going to make a 30 minute job go faster. It just won't. That is what it is. Yeah. And those are consequences i find myself reminding producers of more and more is like you can change your blocking you can change the whole scene you can change that but we don't have time to light this or okay but we have to shoot it in this room over here even though this area would work better because it's we can't move all these kinos and like the dolly and slider and all this it just we can't do that in two minutes now everything's set up over here you can change your content, but you got to shoot it over here or, or whatever. Yeah, so it's like you, can't, you, can't, you don't really gonna, see, notice someone. You just give them like, here's your here's your choices that you can make. Yeah, and you let I, them and you let them decide on, it, and you're like, well, that was what they wanted to do. Exactly. That's no. That's that's been the diplomatic way of doing it. Is like you can have this cake, but then you have to sacrifice these the sugar and flour and, and this water over here. Or that's always, that's always my go-to with like a studio executive meeting where I'm like, oh, that's a great idea, but one other way to do this. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And never say, never say that's a bad idea or, or dismiss something, but really just give people the option yeah. of, of how they want to move forward. That's and uh, I, I often say as the AD, my job is to present options. If you get the creative call, but, here are your options. Here are their consequences. What matters more to you? Because it's your job to decide what the priority is. But let me lay out a list and remind you of a few that you may have forgotten of. <laughs> 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 to some things. Oh, man. Wow. I, I'm blown away. I had, you know, such a great insight on, uh, on the reality world, the non-scripted world. Oh, it's, it's fun. like safety wise, definitely sometimes frightening. And I mean, again, everyone's different. I've, I've done, I've day played on a couple ones that are like kitchen or cooking shows, a uh, great American food truck race. Right now I work on a show called Bar Rescue, but uh, one time I was in a show ADing and uh, the, the host just throws a rack of silverware to his left. He doesn't look where he just throws them into the kitchen to create some drama. And it's like, Oh God, I see Kermit duck. 
<laughs> step out of the way. <laughs> hope nobody got stabbed. <laughs> like, I just have to hope that no one got stabbed. Oh my god! <laughs> it happens. Like plates will go flying across the room. Pizzas, everything. I've I've watched this host tear up like a list of ADR pickups and throw them in a producer's face. Like I'm not saying any of this shit. Fuck you. <laughs> oh <man. laughs> All right, guys. Guess we're not shooting that. Everyone, I've fully loaded in to a location, <laughs> set up, sat around waiting for three hours, and like, nope, he's not coming. Everyone, load out. All right, <laughs> here we go. Break down, and then that's lunch, guys. Like, wow. Great. Uh, we've, we've had the show be canceled like that night, like one week, uh, goes by, we do an episode, uh, loadout day. I'm making the schedule and the call sheet, the prelims sent, the prelims approved. We're about to fly the one for the next day. And then the whole crew gets an email from the EIC like, Oh, just kidding. This episode's not going to happen. Everyone, here's your new flight info. <laughs> Bye. Whoa. Why you at a hotel? <laughs> The night before, yeah, while we're at a hotel out of state somewhere, like uh, check with the APOC for your new flights. Here you go. Bye. All wow. right. Yeah, in August. <laughs> <laughs> like, things are things are crazy. Wow. So, so that's, yeah, I've got I've got some other. I I brainstormed a few horror stories, but I, I suppose just the general run of reality TV is certainly its own horror story. Yeah, I mean, especially that you don't know what you're walking into. I mean, at least on a scripted thing, you know, generally, like, if it's a shit show, you kind of have a sense that day that it's like, we didn't plan this enough. The director's, you know, uh, hasn't thought his shot, her shots out, and Mm -hmm. we're going to be fucked. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, And as long as the crew is cool with that, then we're all good, you know? (laughs) I've made that announcement at a safety meeting in the morning. It's like, all right, guys, we've got 14 pages to get through today. If any day is going to fuck us, it's this one. So, like, stay yeah. focused. Here we go. Uh, everyone hang in there. Help each other out. Like, it's going to be fun. Let's not tear each other's heads off. This is going to be a quick one. Here we, you know. Right. I've warned people. <laughs> like, yeah, I kind of set the, t- set, the, yeah. set the table for what's about to come. But let's all start with some patience and a deep breath. Everyone have breakfast. Have a Coke and a smile, and uh, then we'll start sprinting to the end of the day. Thanks. <laughs> like, here we go. <laughs> Thanks. You know, but people get it. People appreciate that, you know? And then, and then no one has any question if I start cracking the whip more, you know? No one's dragging their feet. I don't know. I, I have, as an AD, I tend to be the kind who, especially in narrative, where I planned everything through. Because then I also... If I know at least what we're going to shoot, I know what's going to go wrong for the most part. What I know the challenge is going to be, yeah. Things that are going to go wrong and slow us down. So I can plan for those. Uh, and I tend to be the kind of AD then that's not like running around yelling. I'm never really angry. We're always just having fun. It's like, great, here we go. Moving on to scene 12 over in that room. And I'll take this person for more job. Okay, blocking is up. Here, like It's very, very chill. Uh, and I've I've always wanted to be the kind of AD who could still make a day, but have it be a fun day, a fun time where we all still get to like improvise and, and play and just not be stressed out, tearing our hair out. I really have prided myself on being able to maintain that kind of set well, environment. I think, I even think, when I think it's, uh, yeah, I think in, in the narrative yeah. world, it's like, 
it's like you can do that, but ultimately, ultimately it's up to the director. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, just sort of like in reality, it's like up to the story producer how crazy shit's going to be. You can set expectations to some degree, but right. Know. Right. Well, and, and that's the thing. In an indie world, often I end up getting more control because the director like looks to me and relies on me a lot more than the, than the network world. I have to just like, you know, I'm here to help. I'll do my best, everybody. But some things I cannot wrangle. On, on, on some of these more indie shows, I, I really get a little more say. And I like that. Directors will look to me and be like, ah, I don't know about this. What do you think? And, you know, I never offer something unless they actually ask me, but I've always got a suggestion. And typically they like it and take it and we can cut down and trim time or, you know, me and the DP and the director all three brainstorm and talk about the shots of the scene. If it's the kind of thing where a director hasn't come in with a whole shot list and everything prepared, which in the indie world can be too often. I've had a director actually ask me, what is a shot list? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, today's going to be a great day. <laughs> Don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> Honestly, it was like, I met her and she said she directed like 20 to 25 short films. Her parents like owned a huge studio in China. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, great. We're going to do this. Uh, we co- we have another meeting, we have another meeting, and I'm like, I really need to just uh, discuss a shot list with you and your DP at a certain point, but but then she turns to me and asks, what's a shot list? And I was like, okay. All right. <laughs> just 20 to 25 short films. You, uh, like, you <laughs> mean... you general a approach? Camera in the backyard is what you mean. Cool. Oh, man. Now I know what level we're at. Okay. Just right, yeah. <laughs> fine that's fine i just you call my agent i'll be right back <laughs> my my schedule and my timeline over here that's yeah all right. we're gonna have a lot more rehearsal time don't worry it's gonna be fine i had an, i had an ad one time get fired because uh the director and i kept telling him like it, this is the college campus one and oh, yeah. he was like this was like spring break we got like a week at uh it was like citrus college i think and i was like dude oh kids are coming back and then the AD was like telling the director that he's just like walking around campus as like the sun comes up trying to find his shot and eventually he just got so frustrated that he couldn't figure out what shot he wanted he fired the first AD and then it just just watched the whole thing implode it's like if you're not prepared it's you're gonna fail yeah oh that's that's certainly true yeah the director does. I mean, and the, the, if you're a director who doesn't know exactly what you're going to shoot, the, the, trust your DP. I mean, the best thing you can do is trust the people that work for you. Then. Oh, that's great advice. Exactly. Like, Let your DP just take over. DP, do it. I mean, block through. You know, I, I honestly, this is a thing. I work with so many directors who are younger and trying to prove themselves, and they all really over direct because they think yeah. what they're supposed to do is compose every single shot and edit and and they just and and they don't worry about performance nearly as much as they need to and and completely forget that like that's actually what your dp is for he's you know let him do that block through the scene with the actors i mean you know usually you guys would have discussed a shot list uh, you know if you're a good director you've got at least a few important moments in each scene because let's assume it's a well-written script and at least each scene has one moment that needs to be there and you know what you want to highlight about it, or at least how the you want to feel. Yeah. You know? 
and block through it get what you want from the actors talk to your dp about how you want it to feel and i mean the dp will say okay i see these four shots i see these five things we've got an opportunity to do something cool here i see this i see that and we could do this over the shoulder or we could play it tight here you know and i mean let them do 80 percent of that first leg work for you because that's what they're there for and then like and what you don't like but uh, you know god do not think as a director that you need to come up with every single shot uh, so many indie directors sit down and try to show me a storyboard of scene and i'm like don't 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 even waste your time are you joking do we have the location yet have you seen it this is garbage none of this means anything none of these shots you don't even know if they're possible until you know the dimensions of the room that we're shooting in and what like no Get out, get out of here with that. Just rip it up in their face. It's, it's worthless. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? I do not think that's specifically about it because none of that is going to matter when you're there in the room doing it. None of that's going to be relevant. Like, it's so uh, true. It's so true. And it's like a, at least have like the first scene or the first setup, like, you know, scripted out and yeah. then kind of play a little jazz after that. But I mean, I would say know what shot you want to open your scene on. Know what shot you want to start. Lately, it's probably a close-up of something, a pen on a page, a footstep, and then boom, out to a set, whatever it may be. Know what scene you want, what shot you want to open your scene on, uh, and then play with it from there. And, like, you know, know how you want your scene to feel. Know any moments that you want to highlight. Know moments that you want to stretch out and slow down and how you want to play with that. But don't think about the actual shot that much itself. So much of that is, is going to be totally dependent with what happens there on the day and the lighting and the gear and conditions and space and let your DP come up with a lot of that. That's They love doing their jobs, believe it or not. DPs love getting that kind of freedom. Let them run with it. You know, oh, yeah. Give, that's, give them those moments that you want. But That's that's always my move is try to get like the DP to do like an establishing shot where they set up like the first shot of the day. Sometimes just like if the director yeah. doesn't know what they want, just like let them go have fun knocking out like an establishing shot and then have the AD walk around the director and really map out what they want so that we can kind of buy some time. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Or, I mean, I would always like if we have a breakfast time stand in for the crew, then it's that's the 30 minutes where me, director and DP can go in the room and at least walk through the first two or three scenes we're going to shoot that day. And then, you know, stay a scene or two ahead of what we're actually doing. Yeah. I usually kind of like really work for the AD at a certain point where I'm like, what what do we need to get ahead? What do we need to do mm-hmm. to keep moving forward? And, you know, usually it's it's so nice when the AD is like fully in, embraced and like, you know, has like the ability to like manage everything, you know, manage people, manage everyone. And it's just like, it's a beautiful thing when it all kind of like, co- like comes together. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, each team and each project is such, such its own uh, animal, oh, yeah. really, which, which is fun. I mean, what I'm doing as an AD uh, with one camera and a crew of 20 is completely different than what I'm doing with four to six cameras and a crew of 100. Five GoPros, yeah. Two cameras, but 50 extras and all of these things. Or even, you know, if I've got a second and a second second, or if it's just me, you know, how many PAs do I have or do I not? Or, I mean, just what's how everyone works together, you know, is my, if I, there's some shows where my best time is spent 
reminding the director to go, okay, now go talk to this hair and makeup to approve these decisions. And then now, now you're going to go to wardrobe and talk about these things. And it's just me like checking in with the director every 10 minutes and keeping him or her on task and making sure that they're talking to their department heads about what's coming up at the end of the day. And uh, so that everything's in motion for that because... Yeah, because you could really go off track if, if that director's so not doing that. Ready to what they want to do. Yeah. Yeah. It just uh, empowering them to be able to get ahead and be working on things, scenes ahead, while we're shooting these ones by sending the director over to talk to them about the concerns that I know they have. Because usually department heads, uh, especially if I've worked with them or if we know each other, they trust me and trust the director and stuff they're not going to come up to demand answers about something they'll trust me to send the director over when it's a good time or when he or her is in the right headspace for that sometimes it's it's that it's just managing the director's headspace and focus more so than managing the crew uh and some crews take a little more babysitting than others i've, I've gone too so it's it's just really individual kind of process really yeah, I guess you have to figure out the director to figure out the, the production. Mm-hmm. Scripted. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the director, the crew, and just, just what kind of resources they're there. Yeah. People-wise, really. People resources more than, more than anything yeah. lately. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've had, I worked on a feature. Uh, it was an indie feature. This was still probably my first year doing production. And uh, it was a rom-com. And we were shooting up on this mountain in Malibu. Beautiful, stunning location. We're in this like mansion vineyard. And uh, you know, there's two big mansions up there with bedrooms for the whole cast and crew to pretty much stay on the location for that week. Lovely. It's gorgeous. There's a hot tub just overlooking the ocean and these Malibu mountains. I mean it's beautiful. Wow. <laughs> Tragically it has since burnt down, of course. Because <laughs> <You're right. laughs> months before the fires took everything out so it was good timing for that feature but um we were up in malibu and it was it was the kind of the kind of show where the director and the dp hadn't talked about their shots and we couldn't get a shot list out of them uh and they would get up you know 30 minutes before crew call to just sit in the living room and discuss shots and maybe hand me a handwritten list of just like the first 10 things and that's it like uh stupid i was like guys why don't even bother with this at this point what are you doing yeah i don't want that that that, that helps me we're here it's today this doesn't help me anymore (laughs) it'd have been (laughs) good that i could put in the call sheet yeah yeah it's now (laughs) stop it (laughs) what are you doing um but uh we had a night shoot it was just one night shoot over this whole you know like four week kind of feature and uh Oh, God. This mountain we were up on in Malibu was a solid hour and a half drive just to get up or down the thing. So any run you wanted to send somebody on was a minimum three-hour trip. Wow. And uh, we're having our night shoot, uh, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. So it's midnight. We're all having lunch. Catering brought in a whole thing. Uh, There's like a wedding and a dance scene. So we've got 30 to 40 extras, 70-ish people total there at lunch that day. And uh, I'm going through last. We've got, like, some big, you know, just courtesy lights set up outside for all the extra tables and things. Uh, (laughs) And I I come inside. I'm sitting with the director, DP producers, and I 
someone's going through their chicken like well this tastes kind of weird and i it, the lunch hall smelled weird it was these chickens like roasted with tomatoes and spinach inside chicken florentine something that should be delicious but definitely smelled strange and i cut into mine and it's like totally raw completely undercooked and i'm oh, like god. oh my god check yours check yours check yours we're looking at it completely undercooked and we're like oh my god everyone stop we run outside tell everyone to stop eating but of course 60 people went through the line before i did or got uh -huh. to see it like half the crew had actually fully eaten the chicken before we got out there to be like stop don't eat anything and most of them were eating in the dark because it was midnight so they just couldn't even see they just ate it My and God. right yeah <laughs> <laughs> eat it <laughs> so it's midnight uh to try to place an order for new food for 75 people out here in malibu where for whatever reason everything closes at like 9 30 things are closed so early in malibu i don't know what it is so we were like producers are frantically looking for somewhere to try to order food minimum we can't get it for another three hours like there's yeah. no way we can feed these people now i mean even in la it's hard to find anything at, after like 10 30 yeah I, especially i mean for that many people too oh, like yeah. oh you know uber eats wasn't really a thing yet this was a couple years ago like yeah i've got pas who probably have food poisoning now that i can go send <laughs> on a three-hour trek to nowhere to get a massive catering order like there's no chance i mean we're on our phones looking for anything people are starting to get sick one of the producers starts going around the crew with vodka shots like hey it'll kill the bacteria and i'm just like oh i don't I'm not here for this. i'm not here you guys <laughs> bad idea <laughs> everyone who either ate or didn't ate is just getting get sick or wasted off two shots <laughs> they didn't eat anything and it's like one in the morning yeah and they're starving oh taking shots exactly none of these people have eaten if that's what you're giving them like oh no god oh <laughs> but so yeah. whatever this starts happening and, and this was a feature too that had like a really shady parent company the crew we all stayed up one night like trying to dig through the website which had nothing on it like <laughs> this what is this place? <laughs> I think we're a mob movie, you guys. <laughs> still, still, it actually has come out. It's in the festival circuit. It exists now, but shady parent company. So, yeah. whatever. So that was, uh, that, was, that was a nightmare. That was a bad one. That was one of my worst horror stories is like food poisoning for 50 people. There's oh, no get here up this mountain at one in the morning it is so, a gift dude, from god when you do lunch at like midnight that it like a shows up <laughs> yeah oh like, man i'm ugh. and it's really risky when you're out in like malibu or a remote location at midnight oh my yeah god. well and it gets misty yeah just driving up and down the roads is really windy and dangerous it was a yeah. hard place to find already there's signs were a little misleading right up to the last couple driveways like People yeah. got lost everywhere going in and out of this location. Yeah, Every there's no cell service. Is, yeah. yeah. No, of course, no service at the top. A yeah. nightmare. And so we're trying to shoot later the rest of that day. And, like, you know, we're all being quiet. But the sound guy, the poor boom op standing over the scene, his stomach is louder than all of the actors. <laughs> <laughs> we oh, have to yeah. keep running to the bathroom. We had to keep taking bathroom breaks for the last four hours. Like, uh. it was bad 
That was a bad one. The producers were sorry, and they like just start randomly firing up whatever groceries they have in the place. You know, it's we're roasting hot dogs on a stove top. I, I don't know. Someone's throwing eggs in a pan. Like we're just frantically making food and then <laughs> trying to get through the day. But, a really bad one. Ah, but you made the day. <laughs> we did. We made the day. Yeah. That was one. I got brought on to that one actually by by a producer who worked with me on that first Idaho film I ever did. They oh. had a, a second and apparently they were fucking up and called me like, hey, Jenna, remember that one thing we did a year ago? That was crazy. Well, I need an AD to do better. And so I need to. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, all right, I'll be there. But they brought me on and the, the guy I was replacing was still there that day. And he didn't know what was happening or who I was. was like, just, just say, he comes over to introduce me to the kid. I'm going to replace like, Hey, this is Jenna. She's just going to uh, be shouting you, helping you out for today, you know, and tomorrow because we've got so many background here. It was another big like dance scene thing. We've got 50 to 75 background. Uh, so he's like, yeah, okay, whatever. And I come on like, yep. Nice to meet you. Don't don't mind me. You tell me what you need help with, kid. And uh, and then come lunchtime, you know, I'm working on making the call sheet for the next day, and uh, he's sitting next to me, like, oh wow, you already have that almost done. Like, look at you, put that. You're gonna make me look bad. And I'm like, no, no, I'm making this for you, dude. What do you think? Like, (laughs) I'm gonna help you. no, stop. They're going to fire me. And I was like, no, no, seriously. Like, uh, you look over this. I'm, I'm here to help you. And <laughs> no, no, it looks good. And I send the prelim and he was like, oh yeah, no, I didn't even start about that. What is that? Like, uh, I don't know. So I don't know what this poor kid was doing, but I had to go over at lunchtime to the line producer. Like, so it's really awkward <laughs> when I'm here doing this job. He's like asking me what to do. I don't know. That's so um, weird. They wouldn't just let, let that person go. Yeah. I, I mean, it wasn't like there was anything I really needed from him. I didn't need to shout. I just, I just came in and sort of started taking over and placing background and doing things and working with the first. And, but I couldn't tell the first that I was her new second either because she didn't know yet. So I just kind of came in and started working like, ah, none of you know, but you will. And yeah, <laughs> they let the other kid go. I know something you don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Very much that kind of awkward. Like, I don't know who any of you are, but also I know some dirt that you don't. So. Oh, man. Uh, that was a fun one. I, Again, I had a great time up at that mountain in Malibu. Boy, the day before that night shoot, before the food poisoning, God, it was beautiful. Myself, the hair and makeup artist, and the art director. <laughs> we stayed Fun out. Sunset. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, she, I got a free haircut. We were stretching. We soaked in the hot. It was a beautiful day. I mean, the most gorgeous afternoon <laughs> before all hell broke loose. Before the raw chicken. Yeah. Before yeah. that. Oh, and then we definitely found a whole big side field up on that vineyard where they were growing more than wine. You know, ah. whatever. I, I smoke weed. I don't care. But the, like the owner's kid had his own secret like grow house on the property that we all found one day when we were scouting for like a different wow. <laughs> just looking part of the field, you know. <laughs> we're going to set the PO in this area. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
it was, it was funny. It was, and uh, like one day the location just ran out of water. The plumbing didn't work. We couldn't flush the toilets. You couldn't wash your hands. There was just no water in any of the bathroom sinks. And what? Uh, oh my god. Yeah. I don't even I don't I don't even know why the someone came out and fixed it that day, but there was still like a good the, nine this hours. This is the Malibu house. Yeah, this like Malibu mansion, and then the property manager slash maintenance guy. I don't know. He was like, "Okay, everyone has to limit their showers. Like, don't wait for the water to get hot. Get in, and get out. Five minutes tops for everybody." <laughs> I forgot you guys are staying there. Oh my god. Yeah. Exactly. Like, uh, I don't know if I can do that. Whatever. Uh, oh, that was fun. That was that was a that was a nightmare. Kind of crazy one. Yeah. Oh, that one I did in Idaho, where there was blizzard conditions and snowing. It was twenty two below zero when we were outside shooting. Did the like, camera even work? I mean, how does that how does that work? The camera worked. What were we shooting on? It was a red something. We would have to keep taking it inside to warm up, though, sometimes. Wow. That did happen. The big issue with that one was that uh, the gasoline froze inside the grip truck one day when we were supposed to drive our gear up the road to go shoot, you know, in a different part of the wilderness, like by, uh, by this river that was going by. It was beautiful and had rapids and stuff. We were going to go drive over, set up, and shoot this, like, ritual scene. And I think this is the one that Carly was on with me. But, uh, yeah, the gasoline froze in the grip truck that morning. Couldn't get the car to start. And so we had to send our PA, our one PA, to the nearest town to go get uh, some specific gasoline mix that you pour in to keep it from freezing when you have, like, a 50-gallon tank because it was a good, like, 20-foot, you know, truck. Yeah. Uh, the nearest town, of course, is 20 miles away. Stanley, Idaho, bumfuck nowhere. Um, so, yeah. And then the director was mad at me because we were, like, behind. We were an hour behind in that scene. Like, you know, I was like, um, were you here this morning? <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, we are a little behind. We had to wait two hours to go get gas to work in the truck because it froze solid. Sorry. Um, <laughs> that was a new one on me. I'd never experienced that before. Uh, the worst situation I ever had. I don't know if we can go on and on with stories, but I remember I got hired. I was like a Craigslist job. It was my first, I think it was my first feature. I was the UPM on, and it was like a, a no budget you know, movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went home that night, I, I locked the trailer with the PO and the wardrobe area. And I brought the key home with me. And then like the next day I'm sitting in traffic and people are like, we can't get into the PO and, you know, we can't get into hair and makeup and wardrobe, whatever the whole area. And I'm like, fuck, right. fuck, fuck. And I'm like, I'm trying guys. And yeah, like 30 minutes and 45 minutes. And, I just got caught in like an accident or something. And then I get there and I like race to park and I'm like sprinting. And they're like, dude, we got bigger fish to fry. And I was like, what? And apparently the grip truck, (laughs) the whole thing imploded, like the shelving, the whole (gasps) thing just fell apart. And it was just like this one big bungled mess. And they were like taking piece by piece out. And like the last thing in anyone's mind was like the PL. Oh my God. So, ah, uh, just never know. 
yeah, that's awful. Uh, I had something like that where the grip chuck exploded. Oh man. I know. I had yeah. one where I had a movie recently where I did where the uh, I forgot what it was. It was like um, a star wagon. Mm-hmm. It like it like went under the overpass and didn't make it, and the whole like got the haircut, or whatever. Like the whole top came off. Oh no! My and we had all this shit going on on set, and I forgot who showed it to me. It's one of the crew guys who showed me like, dude, you're just on KLF wire or you know one of the news channels. And he's like, that's oh. our truck, and I'm like. Oh. That's crazy. And then I had so many things going on. That was just like one of the things that was going on. <laughs> yeah. That's the magic of an AD is uh, taking any opening scenario and like figuring out a way to like <laughs> retack and navigate onto the court. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll roll off you. Yeah. One of the speeches I ever did. Um, we were actually shooting out. We were up in the boundary waters for this feature because it all took place for the most part, like outside in the woods. It was a camping kind of buddy movie turn thriller horror. And uh, so the boundary waters uh, is the wilderness between the U S and Canada up north. So we were shooting up in the Northern parts of Minnesota on your, your, like, home, your home turf, Superior. like Lake Superior, that area. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, again, the crew were all holed up in cabins and stuff. Great, cool, and we're going. When was this? What time of year? Uh, it was October, so it was fall. It was beautiful. Leaves were starting to turn. It wasn't super cold, but it was like forty, fifties, you know. Yeah. Sixty and sunny if it was nice, but probably more like fifties kind of throughout. Um, it wasn't too bad. It never was frozen or anything. I think 40s were probably as cold as it got at night and stuff. Uh, but we were out on the water, out on boats, and uh, most every morning we would have to get up, load up like three or four, you know, pass vans, drive to the boat landing, load all of our stuff into these three or four pontoon boats, drive an hour out on the lake to get to an island out there where we actually were shooting unload all of the boats and all of the gear and get set up. So every day I had like a three hour, just set up start time oh, right wow. off the bat. And um, there was one scene where one of the characters commits suicide, like ties a bunch of rocks around their neck and jumps off the cliff off this like 45 foot cliff into the lake. Uh, it doesn't look like a deadly fall. It didn't read like a good idea in the script, but whatever. That's what we were shooting. And, um, oh, my God. <laughs> the director, of course, was also playing that character. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those kind of projects. So uh, <laughs> he was like, yeah, yeah, I, I jump off cliffs all the time. I used to do this all the time as a kid. Like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. <laughs> We, we've got a fishing boat going over the spot. He's going to jump off. It's like six feet deep for the first 13 maybe feet, just stretching straight out from the cliff. And then there's a, a drop off where it's like 20 or so feet deep. But wow. he's really got to jump far away from the cliff to get to a safe spot. So I was just script supervising on this one. But I was like, uh, and the AD's like, uh, Nina. I don't know about this, dude. And, you, and the director's like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. I'm just going to jump. It's going to be fine. 
we're all terrified. And so this day, we've got a 40-foot techno crane out on a, a pontoon. And when I say pontoon, I really mean like a slab of plywood floating in the air. I, <laughs> one tiny little putt-putt like lawnmower motor strapped to the back of it. It was not a real boat. No railings on either side. I mean, purely like a flat slab of wood. Oh my god! And a forty-foot techno crane. A forty-foot techno crane on it. Genius. Uh, balanced so precariously in the center, the boat couldn't go more than five, six miles an hour because the water would start to rush up over the side and then it would sink. So we had to boat extra slow out to this cliff with the techno crane on it. Oh Jesus. And we're, you know, we've got some Teradex with us, but they don't even work just between up and down the cliff. This is oh, over. That, yeah. So, like, we've got a village kind of down on one of the boats and another one up at the top of the cliff. We all have to hike up and down it with sticks and gear and everything. Um, oh, my God. So, anyway, um, we've got three pontoons out there in the water plus this techno crane pontoon. <laughs> and I'm on that slab of wood with the DP and an AC and the guy driving the <laughs> pontoon. <laughs> DP is up like up on a little step ladder, swapping a lens, setting something up, looking at camera settings and, and tweaking things in. DP is uh, running the techno crane? No. So there's a techno crane up, uh, but the yeah. DP like up on the nose of the crane where the camera's hooked in, playing with some camera settings and changing ah, stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's an AC down there with a lens. I think he was going to change it or the DP was just like, oh, just hand it to me because I'm up here. I don't remember what was happening exactly. The DP was up on the ladder playing with something on the camera. And uh, we all just noticed the boat starts to sink a little bit. Starts tipping. <laughs> starts tipping. And the first whole two rungs of the stepladder that the DP is standing on are fully underwater <sighs> down at the front. The whole front of this slap plywood pontoon is starting to sink so the four of us who are on the boat are like quick quick run run to the other side we all run with our weight over to the other side of the boat and it starts leaning back up and then it goes too far we all run quick go back to the other side of the boat and it's it's we were running back and forth trying to keep a balance basically because it just keeps starting to sink underwater and the db is just at the top of this ladder like guys 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 Oh. Uh, and eventually so we're all we literally just running back and forth on this like 12 foot slap of plywood and we were like waving one of the other boats over so we get another pontoon over and eventually we sort of strap this makeshift pontoon with the crane to the other real pontoon uh and like brace it against it enough so that it's not sinking as much anymore or at least there's an easy escape route when it does right. start. So no one dies. No one <laughs> when dies. it completely does. But honestly, like the the fir- the whole front first three feet were wet for how far that started to tilt forward and almost sink. We almost lost the whole crane. Oh my Camera. god. <laughs> <laughs> oh That's my story god. how to lose a forty foot techno crane. How to lose a crane. <laughs> <laughs> That was that was a scary one, and the director did run and just jump off the cliff, 
and he was fine, but he definitely did not clear as far as he was supposed to. Was it like a one take thing or did uh definitely a one take kind of thing. Oh man. In the air and a crane and then another camera up like shooting from the top of the cliff. Wow. That was, that was, I, I will say like, you know, I mean, you know, it's, probably not good to say this but it's it's the truth it's like sometimes when you really risk it for like these great shots it's like mm-hmm. it's like at the end of the day it's unbelievable i mean you know i was like outside of anything illegal or you know like putting the crew in like harm's way but like yeah sometimes sure. really fighting for these like scenic stuff it's like you, know, you think it's oh, like yeah. but it's like yeah i don't know no it i completely is the shots we got beautiful beautiful i mean he jumps like right over the camera into the sun and he eclipses over the sun before dropping down into the water the shot from above is you know i mean wow yeah stunning footage and all of the shots that we actually got with the techno crane like gliding across the water on that pontoon are so just buttery smooth floating at the water's edge this camera gliding across and, and it's like, like the best water. thing about filmmaking right? it's yeah. like you end up you have like this amazing day amazing footage but you almost die yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean and all of that is just b-roll I mean, we couldn't use half of that gorgeous stuff that we just shot for the fun of it because we fucking had a crane on the water now but, <laughs> like, i mean just gliding with the canoe in the water it was beautiful it was so beautiful what that wow. was it was great that was a great day of filming. And honestly, we had pouring rain. We all got stopped. The whole, the whole, all three of our pontoon boats just had to stop in the rain in the middle of the lake because the techno crane one was going to sink. So we all had to just stop there. Rain covers over the camera, rain jackets on. And then a rainbow came out and it was still raining and the clouds were parting and there's a rainbow over the water. So oh, we wow. Again. We're driving again with this crane. <laughs> You're making <She> right. <laughs> almost sinking and just creeping along like three miles an hour so the water doesn't come up the sides just just nuts but beautiful and honestly so much fun and i some of my best friends are still people i met on that you know on that shoot Ah. all people i've worked with again you know it everyone comes back around all those becomes your kind of your crew family you know yeah exactly and i love seeing like long lost relatives on different shows after, you know, two years gone by and they're like, Oh, it's you again. Oh my God. It's I like- know. Um, well, thank you again for, uh, for being on the show. And, uh, once again, ladies and gentlemen, this is tales from the crew. and we will See you very soon. Thank you. <laughs>